Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. Sentences that were 100 words long with uh, every other word being an adjective, you know. And you were doing this as in an elementary school? Yeah, I was doing this in elementary school. I was actually writing these very intricate stories that uh, no one could read. I didn't know the meaning of half the words I was using because I looked them up in dictionary. Yeah. And so I would use the big words. And and, and so you, you were reading that as a kid? Yeah. That's wow. who I took to first was, was Thomas Wolfe. Huh. I think uh, probably Look Home with Angel was the first book. Now, the first book I read cover to cover was Ben-Hur. Mm-hmm. But then I remember reading uh, Look Home with Angel, uh, Thomas Wolfe. Mm-hmm. It was quite an, an illumination, you know. So the way you describe it, obviously an ad- adventurous childhood, but it was a it was a hard life too. I mean, the mm-hmm. the conditions weren't, Great, you were sort of crammed together in these uh, rooms for the for the work, the farm workers. The work itself was very physically demanding, mm-hmm. a- and you had to seek out books, right? I mean, it wasn't like these places had a a bookshelf necessarily. You'd have to go sort of find them in a in mm-hmm. a secondhand store or something. So you mm-hmm. you had to kind of seek out the knowledge. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, later my father became a, a sanitary worker, a truck driver, mm-hmm. in Fort Lauderdale. And he would bring home books from the trash, so we had a lot of uh, a lot of books in the house. You know, mm-hmm. half you couldn't read because they were all you know, screwed up. But the fact is that uh, I learned I learned to read like that, and I became a lover of uh, books per se. In fact, uh, I, I, I literally I collect books, mm-hmm. and I haven't read half the books I have, but they're always there. I like I love being around them. Mm-hmm. I, I think they're a great great company. You know, I know they're there, and I know the authors are there. Uh, so it's, uh, I think books are, just having them is an adventure. So your father comes across as a big influence in your life, but your grandfather too, your grandparents, had a big influence on your life, including giving you a, an opportunity as a youngster to travel abroad to Israel as a teenager with a church group. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's probably I'm, I'm sure a lot of your peers didn't have that kind of opportunity, right, to travel internationally. Right. Yeah. Um, how do you think that helped sort of uh, shape your career as somebody inquisitive about the world and lead you into journalism? Yeah, I guess it, well, one, of the, one of the biggest things, it gave, me, um, it gave me a sense of not having a real American ego, you know, because when you travel a lot and you see a lot of places, there are places that do things a lot better than we do. And so I saw that early on. I saw, uh, for example, how families in, in certain countries, especially Israel, how, how close-knit they were. And when we traveled to uh, other places, uh, I saw that. But I also saw how, uh, uh, how neat people kept their streets in certain places. South Africa, for example, in Cape Town certain neighborhoods where you wouldn't find a piece of paper or anything. So, you know, when you travel, you learn that you are not the center of the universe. And I learned that real uh, young, also being black. You know, you realize that, boy, you ain't the whole world, you know. As a matter of fact, you're not wanted. So not being accepted was a big deal in my life. And it made me independent, and it made me seek out uh, things on my own. Mm-hmm. And it gave me a way of uh, 
of, of seeing the world in a, in a, not just a narrow perspective, but in a very specific one. I knew there were certain things I could not do, that places I could not go. And there are certain people I could not look in the eye, you know. So uh, I learned my place, and I still know my place. So that's one thing I learned. And it came really from travel, too, mm. you know, a lot of it. Your grandfather sounds like a force of nature, too. I mean, the way you describe it in that column, yeah. he said, I want to take a church group to Israel. And immediately, like that day, people started strategizing, how can we get this done? Yeah, no, he, he knew it was it was a mission, you know, it was a mission from God, you know, that you, know, you had to go to the land of Israel, milk and honey, uh, that's where salvation was. You know, if you didn't do that, then there was something missing in your life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't have, I was never religious, but I was, a, I was, it was the adventure, you know, because I had read all the Old Testament, I had read the New Testament, I had read stories about uh, the different uh, places in Israel. So there were s- symbolic places that, were, you know, embedded in me. Mm-hmm. And I got a chance to go. I went to Jerusalem, you know. I went to the place, I went to Golgotha where Christ was uh, crucified. I went, you know, that was, so I was, that was a big deal. A lot of your columns uh, in this collection focus on the plight of farm workers, you know, from the early 2000s when we had advocacy groups like the Coalition of Immokalee Workers trying to improve the lot of farm workers. And I'm wondering, how did your upbringing inform how you approach issues of labor and immigration and how, how you wrote about them in your in your columns. Yeah, I, I grew up as a farm worker and um, I knew the, I, I guess I knew the, the, the real deprivation. The, the whole life is, uh, is one of deprivation. There's no respectability. You don't have access to, to certain things. For example, we would, we would live in towns here in Florida where we were in camps 20 miles from town, sometimes maybe just five miles. But we were not permitted to come into, the, into town. You could not live in town. So we were, we were an isolated people. And uh, it, it did a lot to make me uh, fully aware of where, where I belonged. And it also made me uh, become very fiercely independent. Mm-hmm. I had to do things for myself. And I'm that way now, you know. I'd, to hell with it. You do it yourself. And... Uh, it's still there. And it came from being um, a migrant kid. I lose count sometimes. I attended 14 to 17 different schools growing up because we never stay long enough, you know, to finish out hmm. a term except in a few places. So I was always a stranger, always. And uh, I feel that way now. <laughs> but but you had that you, you had that family that had instilled this love of reading with you. And you, yes. you were able to kind of keep that yes. with you w- from school to school. Yes, the, the family was uh, all you had, really. Mm. One or two uh, friends, and then, you know, you met in the camps, but it was, your, you had to re- rely on your family for almost everything. Yeah. And you would never had a field boss, guys who ran the uh, the crews in the fields, we never had one who was a kind person. Hmm. They were always out to, to make a buck, so they use you, you know, you you got everything on credit, and uh, that was a bad thing because mm. you, you were never out of debt. So many people could never leave the crew leader ever because you were indebted to him so much. Mm. You know, so we had, we had that fate also. I guess the uh, you know farm workers now are a different group of people from uh, yes. when, when you were growing up. I mean, yes. 
probably not so many African Americans are part of that sort of migrant. Yeah, very few. Progression. We, the, the big joke, but it's true. Once the Civil Rights uh, Act was passed in 1964, uh, we could work inside <laughs> for the first time. So we became waiters and waitresses. There was nothing glamorous about being a farm worker except, uh, to me, was the, the the travel, physical terrain. I, I'm still a lover of uh, you know of nature, and uh, and I learned that from being uh, being on being out in the woods and on farms, you know. When you think about stories that are hitting the headlines around migrant workers and immigration, whether in Florida or in other states now, how much progress do you think the United States has made in figuring out how to treat immigrants in general and especially migrant workers? And does it seem like, for example, what's happening at the U.S.-Mexico border, is that a situation that has a solution in your eyes? I don't think there's been much progress. I think that, you know, we have toilets in the in the fields now. But farm workers are still, I can show you, Belle Glade, uh, Pihoki, uh Fort Pierce, where uh, farm workers are, uh, are still afraid to go to the doctors to tell them if they're ill. For example, simple dermatitis is a real problem for farm workers. But they are afraid to go to the doctors, many of them, because it gets reported. Uh, and so there's not much freedom. The conditions are, uh, in some places, the conditions are better. For example, in Immokalee, Jeb Bush and uh, well, before him, uh, Governor Lawton Childs and Askew began building decent housing for farm workers. So there are many towns now where they live in legitimate, real homes. But in many places, they still live in shacks. And uh, so not much has improved uh, in many places. The, the income is still horrible. You don't get many benefits. So the salaries are poor still. So I don't know. I, I would say that uh, maybe on the scale of 1 to 10, since I was a kid, farm workers now, uh, conditions are maybe a, a 6. Hmm. So there, there, you know, there's a lot to be done yet. And there is no respectability. There's none. The kids still have to move around a lot, so but so that's not much progress as far as I'm concerned. I'm sure that's a, that's pessimistic, but if you go out and look, if you go to Belgrade with me, uh, and and look around, you would say, oh "My God, these people are living um, horribly." There really is still a lot of black farm workers in certain areas, in very poor areas where there's nothing else to do. Belgrade, Fort Pierce, Pihoki, Cluiston. Uh, Homestead, Florida City, uh, there's a lot of poverty. Mm. And a lot of uh, the, the housing is awful still, very, very poor. You're listening to Florida Matters. We're talking with retired Tampa Bay Times columnist Bill Maxwell. After the break, Maxwell talks about his involvement in the civil rights movement and the struggle for rights for black Americans today. Welcome back to Florida Matters, I'm Matthew Petty. Let's get back to my conversation with retired Tampa Bay Times columnist Bill Maxwell about his new book of selected columns, Maximum Vantage. Maxwell was involved in the civil rights movement in the 1960s, and he says the struggle for voting rights is still relevant today. You joined the Southern Christian Leadership Conference in 1964, and you're part of the movement helping register African Americans in the South to vote. Talk about that summer. What stands out for you? (laughs) 
the, the fear was that we were going to be an Emmett Till. The fact of the matter is it was very dangerous. There was lousy, mean white people out there with guns who hated us and didn't want to see us anywhere. We didn't have a right um, to vote. In fact, we weren't human. You know, we were still animals to these people. And um, Alabama, Mississippi, Arkansas, Georgia, South Carolina, and especially Florida, Governor DeSantis's Florida that we can't talk about. Horrible place, very vicious and racist. And it still is in many places. So you could not have a positive attitude if you were a person working for SCOC and doing that kind of work. You know, to get a person registered to vote, you had to put a table somewhere and it had to be in the city somewhere or outside the city. And there was always someone around to monitor you. And there were people who took shots at us. We actually had people take, I don't think they were trying to shoot us or not, but Mm. they shot close enough to scare us. You know, that's what they wanted. So it was always um, a risk. The simple fact of going to register to vote was a risk. And here we are, you know, still going through this nonsense with Republicans, you know. Our governor is one who's trying to uh, prevent uh, black people from voting. And anyone who says that he isn't is being intellectually dishonest. And he is doing that. And we know it. There's, there's repression. So not much has changed in that regard. And I get very angry thinking about how they are trying to rewrite, uh, uh, rewrite history here, you hmm. know. That there's nothing to be discussed, really. That it's making white people, white children feel bad. What the hell you think you were doing to us all those years? You know, I'm, I'm really, you know, it's hard to talk about what's going on now. One of the columns that you write about during that era, it's an ode to the hippie van, you call it. And it revolves around a, an incident where a, a group of people stopped to pick you and a friend up after your car had broken down. They gave you a ride in a Volkswagen van. And that inspired you later on to buy your own van a few years later and and drive across the country. Talk about that, if you could. Well, you know, I was a bunch of, you know, white kids, you know, out there in the very hippies. And and here we are uh, not knowing what's going on. And they pick us up and it's 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 uh, it's a joy. I mean, I can't, you know, I I had never really uh, smoked marijuana, you know, never. Uh, never had a joint, but uh, had a joint then. You know, it was it was it was pure. I hate to say it, it's naive. It was pure love, actually. It was wonderful, and uh, I had never seen white people who had been so uh, uh, so kind. Hmm. And so it really it, it changed my perspective with that group of white people. It, it didn't translate down further hmm. because you got reminded all the time that it wasn't. But it was. Uh, it was uh, it was like being in a movie, uh, and it was a love a, a love summer. It was a love experience. Uh, there was no sex involved, anything like that. But it was complete and utter uh, respectability, and I had never felt that uh, from any white people before. And in that van, it was so cool. You know, they had an ice box and a stove, and uh, we did everything everything there. So it was uh, it was life changing for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also write about a, a friend you made during that era, a white guy who became a journalist himself, and you kind of kept that friendship going throughout the years. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I'm thinking about all of this. It was um, actually, it, it showed me that I had been taught to be wrong about, about people. 
you know, once once you met people who were completely um, open, it, it changed the way I thought. And matter of fact, Matthew, I really begin to believe, as I've told you, I really begin to believe that we were going to change the the country. That it was it was such a profound experience of people accepting you that I thought that we were on the cusp of uh, actually making uh, the country different. And then Vietnam happened, and it went it sidetracked all of that. Hmm. But I literally thought that we were on the move to become uh, a country of accepting everybody. And I really did think that diversity was uh, going to happen. And I wasn't the only one. A lot of us were disillusioned after things imploded, actually. I'm, I'm getting choked up now thinking about how naive we were thinking that we were going to make a difference. And I thought we did for a while. But then the Vietnam War happened. The Vietnam War happened, Reagan and Nixon and all mm-hmm. the rest of it happened, and it, it, it changed, mm. radically changed. You signed up to the Marines. Was yeah. was that part of the draft, or did you did you voluntarily? No, I volunteered. Go? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was going to be a tough guy. You know. <laughs> why Why did you decide to to do that? I was, I was nuts, I guess. You know. But anyway, <laughs> no, I wanted to be. You know, I, I was reading Hemingway. I was reading all of their macho guys, and uh, and I, I thought that it was what you, it's what you did. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and I really was patriotic for meeting all those wonderful uh, people I just described to you. Uh, I became a patriot. You know, it didn't take long to go, wait a minute, we have no reason to be in Nam. We have no reason to do this. So I became anti-war, mm-hmm. not anti-American, but uh, anti-war, you know, just like uh, John Kerry and others, you know, you became anti-war. So there's some sort of literary... Yeah. Kind of yearning there. <laughs> yeah, it was it was being a person of, of literature. Yeah, that I had literally I literally uh, <laughs> imitated uh, uh, my heroes. Uh, so, and Hemingway was one of them. You were in the Marines for three years. Yeah, you had started your university career in Texas, and then when you came back, you you went to Bethune Cookman. Mm-hmm. So you completed a degree there. Mm-hmm. How was that experience? Like, I mean, obviously, a very different college, but you know, a lot of his rich history there. What was that like? Well, when I when I was in Texas at uh, at Wiley, very small school in Marshall, um, my life was completely. I was completely involved in the first year. I was, I was on the football team, mm-hmm. but I became. I read literature. I became a, a literature major, and um, so I was consumed by reading. I used to take no dose too. I wouldn't have to sleep at night, so I could stay up and read. <laughs> Now, every, everything was, was, was literature. Hmm. When I went to Bethune-Cookman, the Civil Rights Movement had, had, had become you know, in full force. So my life changed. So it wasn't quite the same. So politics became part of, uh, part of what we did. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was the editor for the uh, campus newspaper. I ran for uh, president of the, of the student council, became, became vice president. So it was different. Mm-hmm. So I was no longer completely consumed by literature and the academics. So I became a political person uh, in Daytona. When you think, though, about some of the events that have precipitated this new focus on civil rights and maybe reflect on you know where we are now compared mm-hmm. to some of the advances that were made in the 1960s, like where, where does the United States stand, do you think? How much progress still needs to be made? I think we're lost. 
first of all, Matthew, I think there is too much intellectual dishonesty out there. When, when we say Black Lives Matter, white people know damn well what it means, but they pretend they don't. They pretend that we are saying that we're the only lives that matter. That is not what we're saying. We're saying that we matter, and put the adverb at the end, our lives matter too. Our lives matter also. They know we're saying that, but they have used it now as a weapon against us to make ourselves exclusive, to make ourselves beyond criticism. That is not what it is, and, and they know it. And especially people like Ron DeSantis, what it means is that respect us too. That's all it means, and they know that. But they've learned how to take advantage of uh, people's lack of intelligence and their hatred of other people and their dislike for the other. Your childhood working on farms is not the only connection to the land that you write about. There's also the environment, um, particularly the Everglades, and you talk about your love of fishing and exploring the wild places. Uh, do you think these wild places that you've enjoyed uh, you know, exploring and then writing about, uh, are you confident they'll be preserved as Florida becomes ever more no. crowded? No, they're, they're quickly disappearing. I'm very pessimistic about the environment. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually a member of the uh, Dark Mountain uh, movement. The, the earth is not ours to save because we're not going to be here. 